We are going to be in Matthew chapter 21. So let's pray and then we'll get into uh, the text here this morning. Uh, Father, we thank you that you um, call us not only to, to have doctrine and belief and faith and truth, but Lord, you call us to relationship with you. God, we thank you that it's more than just um, do's and don'ts and principles to live by and commandments to follow, but you actually invite us to know you. You invite us to commune with you, to have relationship with you. And then, Lord, in doing so, you invite us to do the same with one another. So, God, we pray that when we open up your word today, that in this time of relationship with you, that, Lord, like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, when you broke bread and you gave it to them, you blessed it, their eyes were opened and they saw you. I pray that today our eyes would be open, that we would see you in this text, because, Lord, it's, it's this text, this Bible, this word that really testifies of who you are. Lord, we pray that it would have an effect not only in our relationship with you, but in our relationship with one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. The book of Matthew, we are going through um, this theme that we have been looking at is the king and his kingdom. Last week, what we looked at was fake versus authentic. And really, a little bit of a, a, a slight difference between authentic and genuine. You could genuinely believe something that could be false. Authentic means that there's something that can be proven. It, it's something that is real. It's authenticated. And so when we look at being fake versus authentic, uh, being fake is artificial. It's counterfeit. It's fabricated. Uh, it's, it's phony. It's pretend. We don't want fake community. We don't want community that we pretend to like each other, but we don't like each other. Uh, we pretend to be happy to see one another on a, a Sunday gathering, but we're really not happy to see one another. We want something to be authentic. And authentic is something that is actual, it's credible, it's convincing, it's factual, it's legitimate, and it's real. So last week when we looked at Matthew chapter 21, we realized that worship and prayer and fruit and faith and all of these things could either be fake or authentic. Just like in the same way that we could do things with our hearts not really being there. And I think that when we consider this relationship with Christ, um, just imagine if you were paid and you received money to be someone's friend. Now that's kind of a, a crazy scenario, but let's just, let's just say that um, someone said, hey, here's this person, they, they need friends and they always come to me. And so I don't want them to always come to me. I want them to come to you also. So here's some money. And I want you to act like you're a good friend to them. I want you to call them once in a while, check in on them. I want you to see how they're doing when they're sick. I want you to visit them. Um, if they have a performance, I want you to be there at their performance. And imagine you did all of those things. You were there for them. You went to their performance. You visited them when they were sick. You called them. And the person doesn't know that it's fake. The person doesn't know that you're being paid. When that person finds out, what does it do to the relationship? Destroys it. It's not even neutral. It's negative. It's not even neutral. In fact, now, now it's anger. Now it's resentment. Here's the thing that I think is very interesting when it comes to our relationship with God is that he knows us. See, we could fake other people out. We can't fake out God. And yet sometimes, I think as human beings, we could even try. 
We can say, God, look, I'm reading the word. I'm, I'm at, you know, I'm at church. I'm uh, in fellowship. I'm doing these things. And sometimes we could go through the motion and God wants something more authentic than that. In fact, this morning, we are going to look at the message and, and really the topic, the title is authority and obedience. And continuing on, Jesus, last week we looked at uh, the triumphal entry and then we looked at Jesus cleansing the temple and we looked at him cursing the fig tree. Pick up with me in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 21. It says, now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they responded among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he'll say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, then we fear the multitude for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he regretted it and he went. Then he came to the second son and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I'll I'll go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. And Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and prostitutes entered the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots, they believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. This morning, the question is really going to be about authority. And when you think of authority, I think that many of us are kind of either born, you know, everyone's kind of in between the spectrum, but some of us are born more compliant, more agreeable. Maybe you're a compliant child. Yes, mom. Yes, dad. And it, or maybe some of you were the rebellious kid, the kid that questioned everything, the kid that challenged everything. And whether it would be with our parents or with our, our teachers, or our coaches, or bosses, I want to ask you a question. How do you see authority? Just overall in your mind, how do you, how do you see authority? I think that some people see authority like this. Um, this guy, his name is Barney Fife. Uh, for those of you that are too young to know, uh, Barney Fife is a, a guy named Don Knotts in the Andy Griffith Show. And Barney Fife was the, the town sheriff. You know, he had his gun and he had his badge and everyone knew that Barney did not know what he was talking about. Everyone except Barney. Barney felt like he had all this authority and he would come in and like he would, he would like kind of puff out his chest and act like he was better or he knew more or he was this, you know, authority on everything. And I think that sometimes, if we're honest, this is how we see people in government. It's how we see our bosses. This is how we see coaches. It's how we see our parents. It's how we see our teachers. But like we really know, right? Right? We really know. Are, are these authority figures, they don't know, but we, we really know. And yet, I think that when it comes to who Jesus is and his authority, one of the things that is very important for us to ask this morning is where do we see spiritual authority? Because when it comes to spiritual authority, we live in a day and age in which people say, I worship a God that 
that of my own understanding, and all, not only my own understanding, of my own design. God that I worship, I'm picking and choosing the parts of God that I want from other religions. And if there's no religion that I could find that meets the kind of God that I want, I'm going to make him up. He's going to be my own designer God that meets my needs. And you hear people say this phrase many times, I can't believe in a God who, and whatever it is that they disagree in, they say, I can't believe in that God because he disagrees with me. This is what's happening with Jesus. The religious leaders, it says that these priests and these elders, they confronted Jesus as he was teaching. Now, I really believe that Jesus, he, he answers real questions. I, I really believe that in his authority, when we really seek him, the Bible says that when we seek, we will find. I, I, I believe this with all of my heart, that the person that honestly says, God, show me that you're real. I want to know you. I want to learn about you. And whatever you reveal to me, whoever you are, then I'll accept that. I believe that God reveals himself to them. But I also believe that sometimes we can question God, not in a way that is really seeking, but in a way that we could question authority and come against God to say, God, who do you think you are? I want you to notice that it says in verse 23, when he came into the temple, remember outside in the courtyard, he had just driven out the money changers. He he had turned over tables, if you remember that, because they were preventing many of the poor people and the Gentiles from coming and, and worshiping. And, and remember, Jesus said that my father's house would be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. Now he comes into the temple, and inside the temple, only the Jews could go in. And the spiritual leaders, the, the priests, the elders, it says that they confronted Jesus. And I want you to notice, it says, as he was teaching this is not like waiting till he's done and asking questions afterwards. I used to teach Bible at, at a Valley Christian High School over in San Jose. I had this one student named Scott. And I remember um, previous to being a teacher at a Christian school, I had taught at a public high school for uh, about seven years. And I'd, I loved it. I loved the ministry there. I actually taught the Bible as literature in a public school. Um, it was packed out. My class had 40 students and a waiting list. I remember looking at the, my class and asking them this question, how many of you have a background in the Bible? And there were seven students that raised their hands. And out of that seven, there were probably four of them that were Christians. So it was like 36 students that, that weren't believers. And they were so hungry. And it was just like they wanted to know what the Bible said. So when I got to Valley Christian High School, obviously it's a Christian school where we could pray. And I'm thinking there's going to be more hunger. There's, it's gonna be this place where everyone is gonna be like, Oh, teach me about the Bible, you know, teach me about God. And and it wasn't so much that way. In fact, what I found was that there were a a lot of students that kind of challenged my authority. They kind of challenged my spiritual understanding of things. One student in particular, I remember in the middle of my teaching, he just kept disrupting me. And the questions weren't really the seeking questions. They were the, the stump the Bible teacher questions. They were the questions that would kind of throw me off my game and kind of sidetrack me so that they wouldn't get homework and it would go into this discussion and i remember one time he came into class and he was late and uh the class was was filled we didn't have enough desks and some students had to sit on the floor it was my first day at at valley christian high school his name was scott and i remember scott walked into the classroom and uh, he sat on the floor and he kept asking those questions and then finally said you know um 
can I go over to the next class? Can I get a desk? And before I could answer, he said, oh, I know the teacher next door. I'll be right back. And he walked out of the classroom. And so I don't even know the intercom system. I don't know how to call. You know, he walked out of my class. So I'm trying to take control of the class still and, and not distract him. And I hear down the hall, clang, clang. He's dragging the desk down the hall. I'm embarrassed. I'm a new teacher there. He drags the desk into the class, and I'm red hot at this time. By, by this time, I don't know if you, you, if you know me well, you know that I, I could get pretty angry, especially if, if uh, I'm being challenged in that way. My flesh started to come up, and I started to pray, okay, Lord, you know, give, me, give me patience. I looked at him, and I said, Scott, you need to go to the office right now. And he said, you're, you're kicking me out? And, and I said, Scott, you need to go to the office right now. And he, he, he looked at me very indignant. He went up to the office. And I remember afterwards, I went up to the office. And Scott had done this thing where the administration, the principal, the dean, the other teachers, they loved Scott. And, and, and Scott really, you know, he, everyone said, you're sending Scott to the office? Your, your first day? And so I remember sitting in, in the dean's office with Scott. The dean walked out, and Scott is sitting across from me, and he asked me this question. He said, do you know who I am? He said, do you know, like, I, I could turn this whole school against you? And, and you, you come here on day one, like new sheriff in town. And I just looked at him, and I remember, I, remember it, it, was, I felt it, it was a cool feeling to say this, though. I said, Scott, I, I believe with all of my heart that God sent me here. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm teaching. That's why I'm in this classroom. And you know what? If you want to fight against me and turn the whole school against me, go for it. Because you know what? You'll be fighting against God, not me. He said, so if you want to do that, go ahead. And I remember it was kind of like from day one, it was, it was very, very intense. Authority was being challenged. Now, I share that with you because I think about Jesus in the temple and the priests. These are the spiritual leaders, the elders. It says, it doesn't say after, it's as he was teaching. In the middle, they're disrupting him. They start peppering him with these questions, kind of like the hostile reporter that's going after someone. And Jesus is answering, and finally, they, they come down to this, by what authority are you doing these things? I think that's their tone. Who do you think you are? You come in here, and you're teaching? We don't, we don't know you? Who, who's your leader? Who are you authenticated by? You know, who has sanctioned you to come into this place? And Jesus answered them in verse 24, and he said, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And I love this about Jesus when he deals with other people, not when he deals with me, but when he deals with other people. <laughs> I love when Jesus answers their question with a question, because I think sometimes he does that with me too. I ask him a question. And instead of giving me the answer, he gives me a question. And I think in giving us a question, if you're a parent and, and you have a, a son or a daughter, you know, especially when they're very little, and they come to you with this question, um, mom, dad, what are we doing today? What does that really mean? It means I have a plan and I want to know if my plan is going to work. So sometimes I'll ask them a question. I'll say, oh, what did you have in mind? Oh, I don't know. I was just wondering. Oh, why were you wondering? You know, I'll keep asking questions sometimes. They just kind of want answers. See, Jesus kind of looks through their motive, and, and I, I don't really think that they're honestly asking about his authority. I, I really think that they're confronting him. As it says in the text, they, they confronted him. They interrupted him. And 
they reasoned among themselves. And Jesus, knowing this, it says they reasoned among themselves, saying, well, if we say from heaven, if John's baptism is from heaven, he'll say to us, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, we fear, notice their motive, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, we don't know. Isn't that a cop-out sometimes? Have you ever questioned, I don't know. And, and sometimes this is what they say back to Jesus, we don't know. And one thing that's important to see here is that the fear of men is a snare. The Bible says that in Proverbs that the fear of man is a snare, but it says that the fear of God is the beginning of what? It's wisdom. So these people were more concerned with what other people were thinking than with what God thinks. And there's a danger if our opinion of Jesus is shaped by what others think. And sometimes we, we form our opinions about Jesus based on what other people's opinions about Jesus are. We kind of want to test the waters and find out, you know, what is the popular opinion poll on how people see this issue or how people see Jesus. Uh, I think it, we live in this day and age of information, public opinion polls. I just think it would be really incredibly difficult to be a Christian politician today. I mean, almost, almost impossible. I, I know it's possible with God, all things are possible, almost impossible because so much of it is based on opinion polls. Hey, what are we gonna do on this policy? What should we decide? Well, let's take a poll. All the people are saying this. Okay, therefore we should do this. And, and this is what these spiritual leaders are doing, which spiritual leaders should not do. One of the things that doesn't work many times throughout the Bible is, hey, let's take a vote. Moses comes down from the mountain. Hey, should we follow God or this, worship this golden calf? Let's take a vote. And you know, millions to one outnumbered. And yet we have to look at what is God's authority saying? What does God say? And so the king's authority is being challenged here. Remember, the theme of Matthew is the king, which is Jesus, and it's his kingdom. And what happens is when people try to hijack his kingdom and make it their kingdom, especially religious people, things get very ugly. When it becomes about a person's kingdom rather than God's kingdom, it's about a person's name, a church's name, a ministry's name rather than Jesus's name. It becomes our kingdom rather than his kingdom. There are, there are problems to follow. And so what happens is they say, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, when we look at the king's authority, they had a lot of head knowledge about God. I mean, they read the scriptures. They were experts in the law. They were experts in the, the, the writings of Moses. If you ask them about legal things, they could tell you. But there wasn't a transference from the heart or from the head to the heart. And because, of, because there wasn't a transference from the head to the heart, what happened is the authority is given to, to where their, their heart was. And really, they wanted to be the kings of their own lives. You remember the song by uh, Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way. And it, it, it sounds like a great song, but have you ever know, read the lyrics or listened to it? It's a pretty rebellious song saying, I'm just going to do it my way. Who cares what anyone else thinks? And that's okay if I am under God's authority. But if I'm not even under God's authority, then it becomes about me being God. It didn't transfer from their head to their heart. Now notice the next thing that happens is Jesus, in the same vein of thought, he just, he just continues. 
And notice this parable of the two sons in verse 28. Jesus asked them a question, what do you think? So as he's telling them this, he goes right into this parable by saying, well, what do you think? He said, a man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. And then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered, said, he said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, the first. Now, how many of us, how many times have we said to God, I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, I, I've prayed a prayer. I've given a vow. I've made a resolution. I've made a decision. I will follow God. I'll do it. And then afterwards, when we look back, we realize we really didn't follow through and obey. And yet, how many of us also know the testimony of, at times, we said, no way, I'll never do it. And then reluctantly over time, then finally getting to a place of saying, God, I'll do it. Think of some examples, maybe in your own life, where you've said no initially, but then God changed your heart. And times maybe where you said yes, and maybe you changed your heart. And you changed your mind. Um, I, I've heard it said before, and I used to laugh at it. I, I didn't think it was true where, where people said, uh, never tell God what you won't do. Like, I'll never do that. And I always laughed at that. I, I didn't think it was true. But I remember saying as a teacher, I will never become a principal. I will never go into administration. I'll never do that because I know the headaches that are in it. I know how much time it takes. And, and what does God call me to do? I became a principal of three different schools. So, you know, I, I look at that and I realize, I, I started saying, God, I'll never serve you in Hawaii. You know, I'll just, I'll never do that. <laughs> just, you know, trying to do, use that reverse psychology on God and it hasn't worked because he really, he really knows. But um, the two sons, um, when, when Jesus is telling about these two sons, he asked them, which one did the will of his father? And they said, the first. And he said, I say to you, and notice tax collectors. Now, in their culture, the Romans would hire someone that would be a, a Jewish person to say, hey, you go ahead and you, you collect the taxes from the people. And we'll pay you based on whatever, we want 30, we want 40%, whatever the percentage is that the Roman government says, that's what we want. And whatever you charge on top of that, that is your fee. So if a tax collector came to your house and said, okay, you know, this is how much is due from you. You just despised that tax collector because you knew that he was cutting something right off the top and that was his fee. Not only that, he was, he's one of you. He's a Jew just like you are and yet he's ripping you off for the Romans and it would cause you to really despise these, these tax collectors. Um, when it came to prostitution, prostitution is different um, in Jesus' time in many ways than it is in our day and age. You know, in our day and age, uh, prostitutes many times are, are slaves. And in some ways, they were also slaves to the system, but, but usually it wasn't from a, a pimp the same way that it is today. But we have those sins and we have those ways in our culture, especially, who, whom is Jesus talking to? Do you remember? He's confronting some people. Who are they? The, the Jews, the priests and the elders, the religious community. And we have to be careful because sometimes religious communities have ways of judging certain sinners as worse than other sinners. The religious community of Jesus' time saw the prostitutes and the tax collectors in a special category. 
That's why Jesus uses them as the example to these religious hypocrites that were really um, trying to confront Jesus. And, and after Jesus tells this uh, parable of the sons, he says, listen, tax collectors and, and prostitutes, they believed, John. But when you saw it, you would not afterward, you would not relent or change your mind and believe him. And I want you to read with me what it says here, really key in verse 32, this last part. Jesus says that the last part of that sentence, you did not afterward relent or repent or change your mind and believe him. In other words, they refused to believe. And that's very key for us here this morning. Because maybe, maybe in our minds we think, well, we either believe or we don't believe. You either see something, oh, okay, I believe it, or I don't believe it. Um, you ever see the magicians, the, you know, the illusionists, they do things, and you either believe it or you don't believe it. But I want you to notice that part of belief at times has to do with our will of what we choose to believe and choose not to believe. They would not believe. When we go all the way, sometimes we say, well, if I saw a miracle, I would believe. If I just saw a miracle, my faith, I, I would believe. If you go back to the Old Testament, I think other than the time of Christ, probably the, the generation that saw more miracles, more signs and wonders than any other generation was the generation that Moses led from Egypt through the wilderness. And, and they saw the Red Sea part. They saw manna from heaven, that God fed them with food that came from heaven. They saw the, the rock split and water come out of a rock. They, they saw miracle after miracle. They saw the plagues on, on Pharaoh when he wouldn't let God's people go. They saw miracle daily after miracle and for 40 years wandering through the desert, and yet, yet they, their, their clothing didn't wear out. They saw one thing after another. What does the Bible say was the reason why they did not enter into God's rest, into the promised land? It was because of unbelief. See, there are times that we could choose to believe, and we could choose to unbelieve or not believe. Now, maybe you think, hey, that's crazy. If you think that that's crazy, then you, you might be maybe a little bit older, because generations are changing the way that they see things. It used to be that if you could prove something to be true, you could say, well, you know what? You proved it. You gave the evidence. I believe that. Let me explain to you what happens with this generation that is in high school going into 20s today. Okay, you've shown me that, and that makes sense, and, and I see, but you know what? I, I just choose to believe this. This is my truth. And And... Our, our world is becoming a much more relativistic society than it ever has been. And Jesus is showing us something that all the way back from the time of Christ, he's showing us you could choose to believe whatever you want. Now, he gives us enough evidence, and I'm really thankful that I've been able to, over the years, um, really challenge even, even my own faith as a new believer. Josh McDowell, he taught at our pastor's conference just incredible. If any of you ever read the book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, um, my junior year of high school, I wrote a research paper that up to that point, I didn't care about research papers. But at that point, that summer, I had just become a Christian. And because I had just become a Christian, I wanted to know more. I wrote a 30-page research paper as a junior in high school, which was crazy, called, Is Christianity Credible? And I began with, Is the Bible Credible? Can we really believe the Bible as an authentic document? 
And then if the Bible is credible, then what about the main figure of the Bible, which is Jesus? Is Jesus credible? And I came away of there, I, I questioned evolution, I questioned creation, I questioned the authenticity of the Bible, I, I questioned other religions, why aren't they just as good as Christianity? I questioned all of these different things, and when I came away from it, more convinced than ever that God is real and that the Bible is really God's word, it strengthened my faith, but it's still faith, and I still have to choose to believe. See, sometimes we say, if I see it, I'll believe it. But when God gives us enough to go on, really what happens is when we believe it, we begin to see it. If you've ever seen um, Indiana Jones, I think it was the last crusade, it was number three, where he stands there at the bridge and he's looking down and there's this big chasm and he's, he wants to go across and then he remembers this clue, the man of faith will take a step of faith and he closes his eyes and he takes a step and what he realizes is that there really is a bridge there but the bridge is painted exactly as, as the, the, the terrain underneath it. So it, it, in a sense, becomes invisible. And you throw dirt on it, then you could see it. Really, when it comes to my relationship with God and understanding his word, God gives us enough evidence to believe. The converse is also true, that to disbelieve God takes faith. To believe that this world just came into existence, this, this ball, this giant ball that we live on that spins and, and there's these creatures that live on the ball and they don't go flying off of the ball. And there's another ball that's a bigger ball that gives it heat. And if that ball that it was littler was a little bit closer, it would burn. If it was a little bit farther away, it would freeze. And on this little ball, there are people that have these two little balls inside of their head. And these two little balls inside of their head have aqueous fluid where there are rods and cones that are kind of swimming around and it could take light images and turn it upside down and cause it to be an image in our brain. And that just happened. That takes a lot of faith. And see, what I'm saying is that we choose to believe what it is that we want to believe. And God gives us enough of the evidence to say, I've given you enough, but it's still faith. There's still a trust factor in which you have to open up your heart to say, God, I believe. So in this parable of the two sons, if it really will go from head to heart, then what will happen is if we really believe it, it will go from belief to behavior. Belief to behavior. So what I believe affects what I do. Because if what I believe doesn't affect what I do, then how really, how strongly do I really believe that? I, I used to put a post-it up. It was above my bed. And so I'd wake up, and uh, before I had contacts or glasses, I was able to read it, but now I wouldn't be able to. But I used to read it when I would wake up, and it said this, if you don't live it, you don't believe it. Because I wanted it to be the first thing that I saw when I woke up. If you don't live it, you don't believe it. Because belief must, it must change the heart. And if the heart is changed, then my action is going to change. And so the last thing that Jesus ends with is this. It's the parable of these evil tenants, where we must go from being consumers to really being missionaries or worshipers. I'm going to read it to you and just give a few points from it. In verse 33, Jesus says, here another parable. So again, the same, he's on the same line of reasoning. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a, a hedge around it. He dug a wine press in it and he built a tower and he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. I want you to notice all of this is what the landowner did. Just imagine you own property. You are the one that owns the land. You're the one that planted the vineyard. 
You're the one that set a hedge around it. You're the one that dug a wine press so that the grapes could be squeezed. You're the one that built a tower in it to make sure that there's, you could not only see the field, but you could protect it from people that are coming from the outside. And then you leased it to these vine dressers. Now, this is different than just farmers who lease property. They were hired for a purpose in his vineyard. Um, a, a common protocol was that as they would lease the vineyard out, that two-thirds of the fruit would go to the landowner. And those that leased the, the vineyard, they would be able to keep one-third of the fruit for themselves. And that was their pay. So in verse 34, when the vintage time drew near, the harvest time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. So, hey, I'm sending servants, go get the fruit. You know, we get two thirds of it, go collect it from them. And the vine dressers in verse 35, they took his servants and they beat one and they killed one and they stoned another one. Now, just imagine this is your property. Talk about having nightmare tenants, right? <laughs> you, you send someone to co collect the rent and uh, they beat one of them up, they, they killed one of them, they stoned another one. And then it says in verse 37, or 36, then again he sent other servants more than the first, they did likewise to them. And then in verse 37, then last of all he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. God is so patient that from the beginning of time, he has been trying to communicate with us to reach out to us, to send his prophets. We have the word of God. We have people that have gone before. And, and when you read the, the history of the prophets, it was brutal. Many of them were, were killed. Many of them were martyred. Many of them were tortured because of their faith. And yet he continued to send them. They were like-hearted. They wanted to go, Lord, here I am, send me. He continued to send them. And all of this in verses 34 through 37 in this parable that Jesus is, is telling, it's about history, the history of people rejecting God and really the history of, of the Jews up to this point in many cases. They were rejecting really the God that was reaching out to them. But then it becomes prophetic in verse 38 because after he sent his son, in hindsight, we're reading this and we, it makes sense to us. When the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and they killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the, the, owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? And they said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. The religious leaders judged themselves. Jesus said, what would you do? They said, well, for sure, What's he going to do? He's going to destroy the wicked men miserably. He'll lease his vineyard to other vine dressers and, and they'll really obey and give the fruits in their seasons. And a great principle for us to remember is this. In the measure that we judge others, it will be judged on us. Because in the same way that these religious leaders judged these, these tenants, they were really putting the judgment back on themselves. In verse 42, Jesus answered them, and I love how he answers them. Have you never read the scriptures? Don't you read your Bible? I mean, that's all they did was read their Bible. And yet he said, have you not read? Like, don't you understand? Don't you know? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. 
This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. Now, remember this. This chief cornerstone was not a capstone of decoration. It was a structural stone by which all of the other measurements would be measured. It was the foundational stone. It was, it was the, the stone on which the whole structure was being built. Jesus is that structure. He is that cornerstone. And notice that he says, hey, you know what? If, if, this, if you fall, if you stumble upon this stone, you're going to be broken but if this stone falls on you, it's going to grind him into powder. Brokenness as a, as a believer is a good thing. And let me explain the type of brokenness that it is. It's a brokenness that comes to God that says, God, I see myself as I am, and I'm a sinner. I, I submit to your authority. Until you and I come to that place of brokenness, what it is is it's just religion. Until we come to that place of brokenness, what it is, it's just me calling the shots. And I want God to be the blessing machine that fits into my paradigm. But when brokenness comes, it comes in tears at times. At times it comes from a heartfelt understanding of God. You are God and I'm not. And sometimes it even comes out of anger. Sometimes the brokenness comes because we are so angry at God because of things that have happened to us, of things that have happened to our loved ones. That's our stumbling block. How can I believe in God when this person was a good person and they died of this disease? How can I believe God when this person is a good person and they lost their job or this happened to them? And those things happen and sometimes that's that stumbling block. But you know what? When a brokenness comes, the Bible says that God says in his word to us, a broken and contrite spirit, God will not despise. When we are broken before God, that's the place where God can come in and we could experience the love of Christ. But if we want to just harden ourselves before God, then the same truth that softens some, it hardens others. This morning is God's truth softening your heart or hardening your heart. I pray for each of us that it, it doesn't harden us because we're too stubborn. I pray that it softens us to say, God, maybe this area of, of my life in which I haven't given you authority, I, I want to give you authority. I'm scared. I'm really scared to do it, but I trust you. God, this area of authority in my life when it comes to relationships or finances or this area when it, when it comes to a sin issue, God, I'm really scared, but I, I believe you and I'm gonna trust you. And when that happens, we experience the love of Christ. I wanna close with the, these applications and then the bottom line, obedience is how we worship. Love and obedience, they go hand in hand. Obedience was a really weird word for me when I first became a Christian until I started to know who God was. Delayed obedience is better than not obeying. Maybe you haven't obeyed up to today, up to this point. It's not too late. Remember, which one did the will of his father? It's the one that finally obeyed. Maybe God is just waiting for you, for me to finally obey. When he says to do it, then do it. And here's the bottom line. To know him is to love him. I can't help, but the more that I know about God, the more that I know who he is, the more that I experience God, the more that I love God. 
And I can't also help but to realize that the way that I love him back is really to obey him. Because in doing so, he wants what's best for me. He wants what's best for you. I want to close with, with prayer. And as I close in prayer, and invite the worship team back up. If you are visiting today, we're uh, glad you are here. We, we hope that you feel that this um, is a place where you could come and worship God together. We pray that if you're looking for a church home, that maybe this is home to you. Um, but when we give, we don't do it out of guilt. We don't do it out of pressure. We do it because it's something that we're doing out of gratitude towards the Lord. This is personal between me and God. This is an act of worship. This is what we do as, as Christians to follow the Lord. And, and we're going to respond as the worship team leads us, not only in giving, but in worshiping. And in the worship time, I want to ask you, between you and the Lord, if there's an area of delayed obedience, an area where maybe at one point in time you said, God, I'll do it, but you still haven't. Maybe there's an area of, you said, I, know, I won't, I'll never do that. And yet the Holy Spirit is, is working in your heart right now. It begins by saying, God, I will choose to open up my heart to say, Lord, if you are real, then show yourself to me. I want to worship you. I want to know you. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, I want to follow you. I don't know all that that means, but I want to follow you. If you want to do that this morning, you'll have an opportunity to do so. And, and finally, to respond in obedience to those areas of life that you know that God has spoken to you about. Don't procrastinate when it comes to spiritual things. When I procrastinate in spiritual things, I only hurt myself. I really only hurt myself. It doesn't make it easier when I avoid the difficult things. It only makes it harder. Now let's pray. Father, this morning we want to thank you. We thank you that you desire community, relationship, that you desire to know us and for us to know you. And so, Lord, we want to begin um, just in our, our time of prayer, in our time of worship through song by saying, you are God and we're not. Lord, may it, first of all, just begin with that. We, we don't want you to put us in our place. We want to put ourselves in our place. And we want to say, Lord, you are, you are God and we're not. And in our finite understanding, there is still so much more for us to learn about you. Lord, the more that we get to know you, the more that we realize how much you love us, the more that we realize how much you have given in order for us to come into that relationship, and we thank you. Lord, for those of us that are, are believers, and, and this is our, our uh, home church, we, we give to you, Lord, not out of guilt or compulsion, but Lord, because we're grateful, and because it's an act of worship. But Father, we don't want to put on pretenses. And we don't want to sing and give while there is still an area of disobedience in our lives. So Lord, help us to obey. Even in our fear, even in our, our difficulty, help us, help us to believe. Father, if there's anyone here that has never received Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And if that's you, if you've never prayed this prayer, then open up your heart to the Lord and ask him in. Ask him to fill your heart with his love. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to, to make himself known to you. And I believe with all of my heart that that prayer that is said in faith is heard by a God that has been seeking you. So Lord, we thank you. We worship you. We ask that you would take this time now and, and 
And Lord, minister to our hearts as we worship you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.